All right, uh, so we are continuing in our sermon series called Kingdom Minded, where we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And so this, to give a little backstory, to kind of remind us of where we're at, is that Jesus has preached, hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now what he's doing is he took his 12 disciples up on a mountain and he's going through this sermon saying, if we are a follower of Christ, then this is what it'll look like. So we've been looking at, okay, what are different aspects of a follower of Christ? What are different commands we are to obey? What are areas of our life, that, what it looks like to reflect this? And so tonight we're going to be looking at how are we to pray? How are we to pray as followers of Christ? And so let me uh, start with this question. I just want to get some feedback from y'all on. And be, you can be as open as you want on this question. Here's this. What is prayer? Yes. I think of prayer as uh, just talking to God and thanking Him for everything He's given us. Okay. Um, just asking for forgiveness. And okay. Yeah. Eli. Our prayer is like our way of communicating with God. Okay. Our way of communicating with God. Anybody else? What is prayer? When you think prayer, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? It's a bridge. A bridge? Okay. Something that gets like, like a phone call almost to God. Okay. Like, yeah. Because when you think about, when you think about like, it's like, or like some people say, like it's our emergency or whatever. Like it's our, it's our nine one one line mm-hmm. or whatever. You think like you only call in case of an emergency, but that's not what prayer is. Prayer is like a constant communication. With yeah. God. Like it's not just when things are going bad or you want to go brag or something. Mm-hmm. It's like all the time, like even just the things that you might think are petty. Yeah, so, so prayer, I, I like, like a lot of y'all have been hitting the nail on the head. Like, it should be our communion with God. It should be us communicating with God on a regular basis and talking with Him. And so I want to follow kind of your definitions with this question, just to think about. You don't have to answer it, but just kind of to evaluate as we go through this tonight. I want to ask you this and think about this. And this is a quote from Corey Ten Boom, where, he, where she says this, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? So, so what priority does prayer take in your life? Is it something that directs every aspect of your life and helps drive a lot of that? Or is it just something you kind of have in the trunk of your car that you kind of pull out when necessary or you only pull it out in times of emergency? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Here's the thing, prayer should be something that is so natural to us, so important to us, that it's just important as breathing, that that's how we should view it. But here's the thing, we are fallen, sinful human beings, and that we are prone to want to have all the attention on us, if you will, when we pray, or that we want to have the spotlight on us, or we want to meet God on our own terms rather than His own terms. That we want to pray in the way we best see fit rather than God saying, this is how you are to pray. And so what we're going to look at tonight, and the main point of tonight's message is this. So if you're following along your notes, this is what it is. To be kingdom-minded is to view and use prayer to depend on Christ and gain more of Christ. So to be kingdom-minded is to view and use prayer to depend on Christ and gain more of Christ. 
So what I don't want prayer to be is just something where we just simply kind of throw all these things of informing God about stuff, or we just kind of a last-ditch effort, a lifeline saying, okay, now I'm going to bring everything before Him. It should be something where we view prayer as, okay, I need Christ on a daily basis. And so if I need Christ on a daily basis, then I'm going to be regularly communing and talking with Christ. I mean, think about this. In a sense, we have an unlimited resource that we get to access. Imagine if you had a bank account that had unlimited funds that you're able to access at any point when you needed it. I think a lot of us would be accessing that as much as possible if we could. And that's what we have with Christ. That we, are, we need Christ. We need Christ just as much as we need air to breathe. And so we're going to be looking at tonight, okay, if, if prayer is communion with God, and that is important, that's supposed to be a steering wheel instead of a spare tire, then Christ is actually going to give us parameters of, hey, this is how you are to pray. And in fact, things of how we are not to pray. So if you have your own copy of God's Word, or if you have your notes on the backside of this, we're going to be looking at Matthew uh, 6 verses 5 through 8 tonight. This comes right after Jesus saying, hey, how are we to give to the needy? And now he's entering into this new one. Okay, here's how we are to pray if we are a follower of Christ. So we are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, where it says this, okay? This is the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray as we just enter into this time, I pray would you um, just free us of any distractions from our neighbors, from our phones, from anything that might be weighing heavy on our hearts and minds, from anything that might be uh, weighing heavy on us personally or with family or with school or whatever else. Would you help us just focus in on what you have to teach us tonight through your word? I pray that you would humble me, that you would just hide me behind your cross and let your word speak for itself, that Holy Spirit, by your power, would you just open up our eyes to see our need for Christ? Would you open up our ears to hear the truth? Would you open up our minds to even comprehend and understand any of this? But above all else, would you open up our hearts to be able to receive this truth and to be able to live it out, that you will help us bear fruit as only you can. Would it be your words that are spoken, your truth, not my opinion, not my words, and anything that is my words or opinion will be forgotten, will be lost, will be burnt up and thrown away like chaff. We need your help, Lord Jesus. We need your grace to be able to become more of the follower of Christ that you've called us to be. So would you help us right now through this? pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. Okay, so there is two ways that we are to do this. So if we're to depend on Christ and view prayer as depending on Christ and clinging to Christ and grow more in Christ, then what we see in this passage over a few verses is two ways we are to do that. And the first one is this. We are to be private. We are to be private. And so as we see in verses uh, 5, it's supposed to be 5 and 6, sorry about that, and 5 and 6 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. 
that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So what Jesus is going to do over these next few verses, so in this first two verses and the next two verses, he's going to give us an example of, hey, do not pray like this, but instead pray like this. So this first one is saying, hey, do not be like the hypocrites. But something that's important before we go into saying, okay, how are we supposed to pray and what we're not supposed to do? An important point we should notice is the very first verse. In verse five, first four words, and when you pray. So, and when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. So from the very start, we see this, Jesus expects us to pray. There's an expectation of Christ upon us as his followers that we are going to pray. In fact, he says, when you pray three times in this passage. So at the start of verse five, it says, and when you pray, and the start of verse six, but when you pray, and the start of verse seven, and when you pray. So there's this expectation that we are to pray to Christ on a regular basis. There's this expectation. So if Christ expects us to pray, and there's this expectation of us to commune with him, then, then that kind of begs a few questions I want us to ask ourselves. Is how often do you pray? How much do you prioritize prayer in your life? Do you pray only before a meal and that's it? Do you pray only when times are tough and you kind of pull it out of your back pocket as a last line of defense? Is prayer more of a lifestyle for you or is it just a lifeline that you go to when you're in dire straits? It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that as Christians, we are to pray without ceasing. Now, now what I'm not saying is that's not meaning, okay, we have to pray 24-7, 365, we don't ever get any sleep. No, what it means by praying without ceasing is just it's a constant way of us constantly having a conversation with God, us constantly communing with God. It doesn't have to be these long-winded prayers we'll see later. It could be just something as simple as when we wake up in the morning, you know what, God, thank you for lifting my head up my pillow this morning. It could be as we're going to school, God, would you just help me get to school safely? But God, can you just help me get through the day today? Can you give me the energy for that? It's little things like that. Now here's what we see next is if we're supposed to be private, then we're going to see how the hypocrites do not do this. So the next thing he says, do not be like the hypocrites. So he gives us our first example. So what does the hypocrite do? It says it here in verse five, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. So there's a few words we want to, so when it talks about love, that they love. This same word love is used in Matthew 23, 6, where Jesus, I mean, he is giving to the Pharisees. We're saying, woe to you Pharisees for doing this. And he gives seven of these to the Pharisees. One of these, how the Pharisees love to have the best seat in the house. They want to have the best seat in the synagogue, the best seat at the feast. They love that. And Jesus is saying, woe to you for desiring that. So that same word love, love being at this head of the line, it's the same word being used here. But these hypocrites love to stand in the synagogues. They love to stand on the street corner. But next it says standing. So this word standing, it means from a verb implying the practice of taking a position and keeping it a long time. So it's not only that they're just love doing that. They love standing there. They want to keep that position. They want all eyes on them. Again, for they love to do this. They love to do this. This same word actually going back to love is used in Luke 18, 11, where Jesus is giving this parable of this Pharisee and of this tax collector that go into the synagogue and pray before God. 
And you have tax collector who at that time is hated by people, but then you have this Pharisee who is who's well respected by people, and the Pharisee goes, God, you know what? I'm glad that I'm not like tax collectors. I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. I am so glad that I'm not like them. And just very arrogant. And then we have the tax collector, he's beating his chest and doesn't even look up into the sky saying, God, I, I don't even deserve to be here. I don't even deserve to be present before you. And I'm just thankful for your grace. How we see two opposites even in that parable, that these, these people that love to stand there, they love that attention on themselves. They, they view themselves very highly, if you will. So for they love to stand in where? The synagogues and the street corners. So prayers in the synagogues at this time normally was led by a member of that congregation. And so that also meant they would stand at the front and lead the prayer, and they're normally invited by someone to lead it. So normally, if you were invited, that presumed that, okay, that marked them as distinct amongst other people. So people would love to be able to stand there saying, all eyes on them, that they're being invited and standing before and leading everybody in this. But not only that is street corners. So they're standing on these street corners. And normally what that means by street corners is a lot of people wouldn't adhere to like this afternoon prayer time they would have. But if they did, normally what it means by street corners, they would go to the widest street at a certain time. So what it means by if they're going to a very wide street, it's going to a street that is heavily populated, that is heavily used and traveled upon, which means if it's heavily used and traveled, that means there's going to be a lot of people going through there. And if they're doing it at a certain time, that means they're doing it at the most pristine time, so stand on a certain corner, so they're seen by the most people at the greatest time. So they're seen by a whole bunch of people at the best time of day, so that way everyone sees them when they're praying. Like, look at me. Look at me praying to God. In fact, I, I, we might think this and go, okay, well, I don't think I'm going to stand on a street corner you know, and, and pray out loud before God to have eyes on me. But there's even modern ways that we like to even have eyes on us in different ways. In fact, I was literally talking to someone about this the other day saying, you know, studies show that the best time to post on social media to get the most interactions, the most like likes and comments and retweets and shares and everything is between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. He was saying, when you post in between that time, you are guaranteed to get the best, greatest impact during that time. Why? So you can have the most eyes on your post. And I think there's a lot of people even today that like to do that, that they want to have all eyes on them, that they might be not standing on a street corner, but they will post whatever it takes to get that attention on themselves. Whatever gets the most likes, the most comments, the most retweets, the most shares, the most whatever you name it. That okay, if I post it on this time, this time, then I'm going to get a lot of eyes on me. Or if I'm clinging to whoever has their 15 minutes of fame right now that's really popular on whatever you name it, then I can get my fame right there and more eyes on me. So posting on social media today would be the equivalent of standing on the street corner in that time. So again, why does this hypocrite love to do this? Why does he love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners? Well, it answers that in verse 5. That they may be seen by others. So they could have all eyes on them. So they could have the applause of the crowd. Wow, listen to how articulate they are. Listen to just how well they pray. Listen to them leading this prayer before other people. Look at all the likes and comments and retweets and shares and interactions and views that they're getting. Jesus says, truly, they have already received their reward. Those people that want all eyes on them and just want all the attention, that's it. He's saying they've already received their reward. What is that reward? Well, it's, it's the popularity of man. It's the popularity of man. But Jesus even talks about in just 10 chapters later in the same book, in Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 26, he talks about, hey, 
If you were to follow me, you were to deny yourself. You are to deny that desire to try to get all the attention on you because it's meant to be pointed to Christ. We're to deny ourselves in that desire. We're to pick up our cross and follow him. And then follows up with saying, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world yet forfeit his soul and lose it? What does it profit a man to gain all of the likes and all of the comments and all of the retweets and all of the shares and all of those interactions yet forfeits his soul? What does it profit to gain all those followers, yet in the end it won't even matter? He's saying that that doesn't matter because in the end it won't matter in the end because there's always going to be another post that's going to have more likes and more comments. There's going to be someone that always has more followers. There's always going to be the next thing that we're trying to beat and it's going to be never ending. So we're to not be like the hypocrites when we pray, but we're to be like what? Here's what he says in verse 6. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So we're to go in secret. We're going to our room, shut our door. And it's secret. It means concealed from the notice of all persons except the individual or individuals concerned. So literally polar opposite of what we just read. So instead of standing at the biggest spot that everyone's going to see, we're supposed to go to the most private part that no one can see. That, that no one knows except us and God. In fact, this is modeled after what we see in Isaiah 26, 20, where the prophet is given this saying, hey, go into your rooms, hide away from this, and just pray to God. And what that was meant is, is Isaiah gave that prophecy, gave that instructions to the Israelites in order that they would hide from temporary judgment in the anticipation of blessing on the other side. And to give more so, it says, go to your private room, as some translations would say. And a private room, what it meant is there was no windows and there was no other doors to the exterior of the building. The only door into that room was that one door. So there's only one way in and out and that was it. So he's saying, go into your private room, close the door, don't let anyone see, and just you pray to God, commune with God. That is what's so much more important. It's the opposite of what the hypocrite was doing. Think about it. The hypocrite was praying out in public for the entire world to see. But Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom-minded person is praying in private where only God can see. And here's the beautiful thing. Look at the very end of verse 6. Okay, so go into a room, shut the door, pray to God, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So that is a promise from God. So it's a promise that Christ is saying that, if, hey, if you go privately and you commune with God and you're praying to him and you're more focused on Christ and gaining his attention rather than the attention of the world, he says he will reward us. So this, is what, this leads to this other truth now. This next truth that we can write down is communion with God leads to blessings from God. So communion with God leads to blessings from God. So that time that we spend in private with God leads to us receiving blessings from God. Now, I think times you might think blessings, and the first thing that might come to mind is, oh, financial blessings or, or material possessions. And that might not necessarily be the case. That, that could be something that he gives us if that's what we need, because he knows exactly what we need. Not, he's not going to give us what we want, but what we need. But the greatest blessing of all is that's ultimately going to be a spiritual blessing that he gives us. Because ultimately, it's going to gain more of Christ and become more like him. And that as we spend more time with God, he's going to work and transform our lives and be conformed more into his image that he's called us to be. And as we do that, our desires 
The desires of our heart will slowly be taken over by his desires. That we'll say, okay, we want Christ more. And the more time we spend with God, the more we realize, okay, we don't need anything the world offers us because Christ is better. Jesus is better than anything this world could offer us. So this doesn't just happen from public prayers before the whole world to see, but through private prayers between only you and God. Now, what I want us to understand is Jesus is not condemning public prayer. So it's not like saying every time, let's say, I stand in front of the congregation and pray for us. It's not like Jesus is condemning that. What Jesus is talking about is what is the motivation behind that prayer? What is, what is the motivation driving you suing this? Is it to put all eyes on you or is it to try to point people heavenward and point people to Christ and their ultimate need? Because here's what we should see. The next one, public prayers should be an overflow of private prayers. So public prayers should be an overflow of private prayers. Meaning that those prayers that we pray out in public, the lives that we live out in public, should be an overflow of our private time spent with God. Because it is a whole lot easier that we are praying in private, we're worshiping God in private, it makes it a lot easier to go out in public and worship Him. It's very hard to translate us just praying out in public and then going back into our private rooms and praying there. That, that our private worship should overflow out and spill out and affect every area of our life. So that's what it's going to do. Because the more time we spend with God in private, the more it's going to transform us and the more we're going to see that publicly and tell other people about Him. And that's the same thing with our Christianity. This is one part of our Christianity, that, that our Christianity should not be something that we just flip a switch on when all eyes are on us. Our Christianity should not be something that, okay, when we're at church, we'll, we'll flip on the switch and where everyone sees us, look, how, look what I'm doing and look how great I'm being, and then we just flip off the switch as soon as we get home or as soon as we go to school or as soon as we're around, we're friends. It should be something that is constantly overflowing out of our lives. Why? Because we're spending so much time with Christ. We see our need for Christ. We cling to Christ more and naturally that'll change our hearts. It can't help but overflow out into the rest of our lives. So let me ask you this, that 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 this private worship we have will overflow into public worship. Is your walk with Christ only visible on Sundays and Wednesdays? Is your walk with Christ only visible when others are around, when eyes are on you? Or does your worship on Sunday mornings or even Wednesday nights right now overflow from your worship and your time spent with Christ from the rest of the week? Because as Christ followers, it should be where when we worship on Sunday, that's not the only time we're worshiping, but it'd be something where we're privately worshiping throughout the rest of the week, spending time with Christ, that we get to celebrate publicly worshiping Christ together with other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that, that is just a great thing that we get to enjoy. So if we want to cling to Christ, if we want to view prayer as something so important to us that we cling to Christ, that we depend on Christ, and the first thing we must do is we must be private about it because that will lead to public, being able to live for Him, public prayers and representing Him while in public. But then there's the second truth that we are to see, which is this, is we are to be real. We are to be real. So here's what it says in verse 7 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for their Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we are to be real. I know a lot of times people say, just just keep it 100. Just be real and honest with me. Don't beat around the bush. Just be real with me. I think most people just want that. They don't want people to kind of just 
just mix up their words or just kind of tiptoe around stuff. A lot of people are like, look, just be blunt. Just be honest. Just be real with me. As we'll see, God just says, look, just, just be real with them. We can be real with God, with our words and with our emotions and with our lives. So let's look at this next one, okay? We're not to be like the hypocrites. We're to be like this praying in private. Now the next one he says is, do not be like the Gentiles. So what did the Gentiles do? So it says the Gentiles in verse 7, they just heaped up empty phrases. And so Gentiles were just anyone that was outside the Jewish community. So anyone that was not Jewish would be considered a Gentile. All of us would be considered Gentiles because we're outside of that Jewish community. And so a lot of the practice at that time in like the Greek and Roman times of where this was happening is first century Greeks and Romans, they believed in like a whole bunch of gods, a pantheon of gods, if you will, that controlled different aspects of nature. So if you have all these different gods that kind of control different aspects of nature, what they would do is they would try to appease these gods and they would try to avoid their wrath, but also receive blessings from these same gods. But they also believed these gods to be more like humans rather than gods themselves. So they, would need, they felt like they needed to pray repetitively for the gods to even hear them. For the gods to even hear them. And then their requests were, and that their request was worth granting. So you have all these different gods, and they have different aspects of nature. So like, you know what? I'm just going to pray to every last one of them. I'm going to pray over and over and over again till I know they hear me and at least know that my request is worth granting. But they would go even further that worshipers of these gods also believe that their words carried some kind of magical powers and weight to it. So if they spoke these words more, then the more powerful that magic would be to get their attention. And the more they'd be able to convince the gods and manipulate them. But the only problem with this is this is solely focused on the individual praying. That it is showing a dependence upon oneself. That this person is saying, okay, it is up to me to get the attention of God. So I'm going to say all these phrases over and over and over again. I'm going to spill my heart out and just say all these different things to finally get their attention. Just to be like, look at me and just grant my request. It is showing a dependence on oneself rather than dependence upon God. And that's what prayer is. Here's what I want to see. This next, uh, this next note we have, this next truth. Prayer is meant to express our dependence on God. Prayer is meant to express our dependence on God. Like I said, words do matter to God. Words do matter to God, but the motivation behind the words matter even more. So yes, it should be important like what we're saying to God, but God cares more about what is our heart behind what we're saying. Because prayer is meant to change us. It is not meant for us to manipulate God or change God or bribe God. It's meant to change us. In fact, here is this uh, quote from Soren uh, Kierkegaard where it says, Prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. So, so prayer is not meant for us to change God or manipulate him. It's meant when we commune with God, the more we commune with God and communicate with God and talk with God and spend time with God, it's going to change us. It's going to transform us more into his image that he's called us to be. That it, just because we say the same phrase over and over and over and over again does not necessarily mean that that's going to happen or the things are going to change, but it's the heart behind it. What is the posture of our heart? A great example is just a few minutes ago, we sing, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in saints' communion. I believe in the Holy Church. We could sing that over and over and over and over again. We could sing it 10 times over till we're blue in the face. But what is the belief in our hearts? Are we trying to sing this over and over saying, God, I just want to get your attention. I just want to get your attention. See me worshiping. 
Or we're saying this saying, look, I've, I've received salvation. I've been transformed by Christ. And I just, I just want to say outwardly, like, I believe. I believe in all of these things. I believe in all of this. In fact, when I was reading this, this reminded me of a real-life example. Um, a few years ago, uh, when I just graduated high school, our church that I was at went on a mission trip to Vancouver, Canada. And one of the places we went while we were in Vancouver, Canada, is they had this section, uh, the subdivision, if you will, where it had a whole bunch of different religious establishments. So a whole bunch of different religious buildings. So churches, mosques, temples, those type of deal. So our group was only able to go to a couple, and my group went to a Buddhist temple and a Sikh temple. And I remember when we went to the Buddhist temple, we were asking them, like, what, what, how do you pray? What, what do you do? And one of the things we heard as we walked in, we heard the same phrase being repeated over and over and over again over the intercom and people kind of sitting on these pillows before this giant golden boot. And we asked what, what that was. And they said, well, our belief is that if we continue to repeat the same phrase over and over and over and over again, that eventually we might become more like God, more like Buddha if we say this phrase over and over again. Or they said, you know what, if we, if we, let's say, my friend just passed away, then I'm going to go burn incense at, let's say, the Buddha of life and death and pray that they have a better life in the next life. That that was what their belief was. That, okay, they had to repeat this phrase over and over again to hope to become more like God, or, or that they had to burn certain incense to get the attention of God, and that they would hear their prayers. Or at the Sikh temple, when they went, I remember we went to this, this plush room, things like that, and they had what looked like a bed in front, a trough, that people would kind of give different offerings before it. And apparently, according to their belief, that, that their God, their word was alive, but was asleep. And so people would come, and they would offer these things, they would pray, hoping, hoping that this God would wake up, would wake up and hear their prayers. That they were begging that this would happen. And I couldn't help but have my heart break as, as I saw this, that they were just, they were trying to do anything to get the attention of God. They would repeat any sort of phrase. They would burn any sort of incense. They would go to any length. They'd be like, God, would you just hear me? But the beautiful truth about us as followers of Christ is we don't have to continue to say the same different phrases or it's not like a right amount of words or different things we have to line up and say. No, Christ is the one that interceded. Christ is the one that allows us to be able to pray to God. Think about this. We don't have to say the same things. We don't have to say the right combination of words. Christ came, lived a perfect sinless life that we could not live. He died on the cross, was bodily resurrected, and then the important part, he was ascended, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he hears our prayers. And that if we have repented and believed in Christ, we are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. So we have a direct line to God. So we don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a place. We can pray to God wherever we are. We have that direct line. And we don't have to say, oh man, I really hope God just hears my prayers. I hope that he hears all of us. No, he says he hears every prayer because of Christ. That's not something that we have to do, that we have to work all this out, but it's because of Christ and his finished work and us leaning and resting in him that we're able to communicate with God, that we're able to have a relationship with God, that we're able to grow more into the person that God has called us to be, and that is such a beautiful thing. Because here's the thing, Christ has done all the work. He's come, he's lived this life, he's died, and he's rose again, he's ascended, and he's placed the gift in front of us, but it's up to us to receive that gift of salvation. We can do that. We can have a relationship with God and commune with God wherever we are. And that is such a beautiful thing that Christ has done all the work. And that's why we lean on him. That's why we depend on him. Because when we see that Christ did everything for our salvation, we realize that we need him for everything else for the rest of our lives to grow in that relationship. That's why we constantly pray to God and communicate with God.
That's not about anything that we can say or do, but it's all about what Christ has done. But let me ask you this. Do you believe that you must say a certain like order of words to get the attention of God, even now as a follower of Christ, potentially? Do you believe that you have to say a, a certain number of, let's say, adjectives before now I can get his attention? If he's all-knowing and omnipresent and all-loving and wonderful and powerful, do we feel like we have to say that or can we just be real with God? We can go directly to him. Do you pray to God to simply just get something out of it? I'm going to pray to God to hopefully get this checklist off. Or do you pray to God to gain more of him because we actually can communicate with him? This God that we rebelled against, that we wanted nothing to do with, we can now have a relationship with Him, has pursued us, desires to have a relationship with us. We can pray directly to God, thanks to the finished work of Christ. But another thing he says is that, that these Gentiles think they can be heard not only by throwing up empty phrases, but by saying a whole bunch of words. And because they're saying a whole bunch of these words, almost word vomiting, if you will, that, they will, that God will hear them because of that. It would be like this long-winded babbling, thinking, okay, the more words we speak, then the more the God or gods would hear them. But we see in Scripture that it says in Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Basically, meaning the more we start talking and the more we start talking, the more we'll probably get in trouble. Like, the more we just start talking all these things, the more we'll probably put our foot in our mouths. Or it says in Ecclesiastes 5, 2, do not be rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in the heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Basically, what all I'm saying is our next truth is that it's not about the quantity of our words, but it's about the quality of our hearts. It's not about the quantity of our words, but the quality of our hearts. So it's not about how many words we're saying, but it's about the posture of our heart. It's not about us saying, okay, I got I to gotta reach a certain word count before then I can start praying to God, or a certain word count, and then these things will happen. No, it's, just, it's about what is the posture of our heart when we come before him. Are we going to be more like the Pharisee that we saw in the parable, where it's like, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. Let me go on and on talking about this. Are we going to be like the tax collector saying, God, I don't even deserve to stand in your presence? But thanks to Christ, I can stand in your presence. Thanks to Christ, I can come before you. Thanks to Christ, I can come before the throne and pray to you. Thanks to Christ, I can have a right relationship with you. Thanks to Christ, I can have forgiveness for my sins. Because here's the beautiful thing that we see at the end. In verse 8, okay, Jesus says, Do not be like them. And there's this phrase, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So God already knows what's on our hearts. God already knows what's weighing heavy on our souls. God doesn't need a whole bunch of adjectives or phrases thrown together before him. God can handle the state of our hearts. God can handle our requests. God can handle our emotions. God can handle any situation that we're dealing with in life, regardless of what that might spring up in our lives. God can handle whatever we throw at him. In fact, another quote from Oswald Chambers says, prayer is the exercise of drawing on the grace of God. That God can handle it. And so if God already knows what's on our hearts, if he already knows what's going, then we don't need to beat around the bush and say, okay, let me, let me just do all these wonderful things and use all these nice fancy words. We just be like, God, like, what is going on? 
If we look in the Psalms, there's times where, yes, they're, they're worshiping and praising God, but there's times where also like, God, like, how long am I going to stay here? How long am I going to deal with this? How long am I going to suffer and face these things? They were just real before God, and that's what God desires. It's not about the quantity of our words, but the posture of our hearts, because he can handle it. But I want to break down this phrase before we close out. It says, and, and your father, or and it says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the first part, your father. Think about it. There is a relationship there. Let's not breeze by it. It's your heavenly father. That if we have repented and believed in Christ, then we are a child of God, and God desires to care for his children. He cares about our lives. He cares about us deeply because he is our heavenly father. So, so it says, your father. Next line, your father knows. So knows it's to be aware of a fact or specific piece of information. He knows what we need. He knows our lives. He knows everything going on in our lives. He knows everything that's happening within that. And he knows what we need better than even we think we know what we need. The next one, okay? That kind of like, have you ever, have you ever just, you really wanted something from your parents? So you kind of butter them up like, oh, you're so great and wonderful. I don't know how you word it but like you, you try to butter up your parents to get something out of it, is that we don't need to do that with God. God's not, God's not saying, God's like, just, just come straight to me. What, what, what is on your heart? What is weighing heavy on your souls? It says, for your father knows what you need. So God knows what we need. Of course, what we need ultimately is to become more like Christ. What we need is Christ and grow more into the follower he's called us to be. So your father knows what you need, lastly, before you ask him. God already knows what's on our heart. He already knows what is weighing heavy on our souls before we even ask it. In fact, here's just a few beautiful truths from scripture before, before we close this out. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all of your anxieties, all of your cares upon him. Why? Because he, God, cares about you. He cares about you. Everything going on in your life down to the last detail. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, let all of your requests be made known to God. So anything that you have on your heart, regardless of how small or large you think it is, no matter how silly or serious you think it is, God's saying, let all of these requests be made known to me. Or in Psalm 139, verse 5, it says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So before we even say it to God, God already knows what's on our hearts and minds. So if God already knows what's on our hearts and minds, if he already knows how we're feeling, then why not? That should encourage us to just be able to be real and honest and even just raw with our emotions before God. And when we do that, we will see how we can commune with God and grow even closer to him in even those moments where we're just able to be totally real and honest with him. And then lastly, here's such a beautiful truth that, that if we are a follower of Christ, like I said, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says this beautiful phrase where it says this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So think about this, even when our situation is so overwhelming, even when we are so just overwhelmed by feelings or situations that we don't even know how to put it to words, it says the Holy Spirit groans from the depths of our soul on our behalf. Why? Because God knows. God knows. He knows the Holy Spirit communicates this to him. Why? Because God knows exactly what we need before we even ask it. 
So if that's the case, that means we can be real. We can be honest. And it's beautiful when we have those private moments with God spent with Him because then it overflows into a life truly transformed by Him. This is what happens when we prioritize prayer in our lives. So let me ask you this as we close this out. These two questions. One, how is your prayer life? If you, let's say, had to rank it on from 1 to 10, 1 being bad, 10 being great, how would you rank your priority of prayer and how well that is? For you to think about how is your prayer life and second how is your relationship with christ it's something that is just a a private thing is there something that you just have in public when you come to church or or when you're around certain people or something that's just a natural thing or are there maybe areas in your life that, that you really are struggling with maybe you're worried about other people knowing whatever the case is you can bring that before god and maybe tonight is just a night that you just you start praying to god saying you know what, god like these are a bunch of areas that i have i have messed up in i have fallen in and 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 i'll just be real with you here's all the list of things that i've done you know what christ says i'm just i'm glad that you've come to me to bring it let me take it upon my shoulders forgive you and change you to continue to move forward this is what happens when we're able to pray we're able to pray with god Think about this, the creator of the universe, the creator of all of this. When we pray, we have this undivided attention. They're able to go in our private rooms and do that. We're able to be real with him. We do that. We'll see even more of our need for Christ, but we'll continue to become even more of the people of Christ that he's called us to be. And through that, we'll be able to continue to make Christ's name known as he calls us to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so, so much just for for just the ability to be able to pray to you. We thank you that we're even able to come before your throne and bring all of this before you. And I pray, that you, would you help us? Because it's easy for us to go, I- I- I'm okay. It's easy for us to just not worry about praying or do it another time. Would you help us prioritize prayer? Would you let us see our need for it just as much as breathing? Would you help our prayer be a steering wheel, not just a spare tire? Would you help us cling to you as only you can? Would you help us see our need to, to privately meet with you and that we can be as real and honest as we want to before you? As we do that, you'll continue to transform us into the people you've called us to be. All of this is only possible because of Christ. Thank you so, so much that you allow us to do this. I pray for these students. Continue to help each and every one of them. Help us with our communion with you that, that we meet again on Sunday, that it'll just be an overflow of this private worship you've given us. Thank you for this ability to do that. I pray that it'll take root and help us grow closer to you and continue to make Christ's name known. And it's in Christ's holy, precious name we pray. Amen.